Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 170. I am your host, Noah Roschetta, and today I'm going to talk about the five remembrances. As always, keep in mind you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use what you learn to simply be a better whatever you already are. If you are interested in learning more about Buddhism, you can check out my book, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, available on Amazon, or listen to the first five episodes of the podcast, and you can find those first five episodes easily by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking on the link that says Start Here. If you're looking for a community to practice with and to interact with, consider becoming a patron by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking the link to join our community. We do have a, a live Zoom call every Sunday where we talk about different topics and concepts and ideas similar to what's discussed in the podcast. But that happens every Sunday, and that's available to members of the, of the Patreon community. So to the topic that I wanted to discuss today, I wanted to share some thoughts regarding the five remembrances. I first recorded a, a podcast episode in 2019 uh, around this topic, and that was episode number 108, and the title of that episode was Important Things to Think About Often. So you can revisit that one if you want, uh, but this is uh, a revisit of, of the topic of the five remembrances. So it's been a while since I've recorded a podcast. I've been uh, busy with life and travel and uh, just things things that I have to do for work and for um, you know being a being a dad and a husband and and all the other things that that you do in life. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's been over a month now since I recorded a podcast episode. I just returned from a trip. I was able to go for work to um, Europe and then to North Africa and had the opportunity to do some flying there. It's a really neat trip, a really neat experience. And one of the benefits of being a team pilot for uh, the, one of the wing manufacturers in Europe is that um, for their annual team pilot gathering, I got to go to France to, do, uh, to, to join this meeting. And my twin brother is also on the team. So it was really fun for both of us to be able to go fulfill our duties as team pilots, but also be able to do some fun, exciting uh, travel and flying centered around that. So, uh, you know, I think our primary responsibility as team pilots is to go out and fly and, and capture footage, photos and videos, which is why if, uh, if any of you have looked for me on social media, uh, thinking, well, I'll follow and see if, if, um, if I share any podcast-related stuff. Everything you would encounter if you see me on social media is centered around flying, and that's why, because all of the content that I capture is part of my obligation as a team pilot to produce content that helps promote that specific brand. So anyway, that's why I was on that trip um, and had a really good time. And while I was there, I was thinking a lot about the five remembrances. So the five remembrances are, um, they come from a discourse attributed to the Buddha called Subjects of Contemplation. And they are five profound ideas that we are invited to think about often. 
And the Buddha said, of all contemplations, that of impermanence is the deepest and most supreme. And these five remembrances are intended to be wake-up calls that help us to see more clearly the nature of reality, wake-up calls that help us to live more intentionally and uh, perhaps more skillfully. And I really like thinking about them framed in that context, that uh, as we go through life, it's very easy to forget these five important truths. And these are intended to be the five reminders or the five wake-up calls that really, truly, if you think about them often, it will change the way that you live your life. There's a, a quote that I've heard. I've seen it on social media, and I don't know who, who it's attributed to, but it says, we all have two lives, and the second one starts when you realize you only have one. And I really like that. I think the remembrances kind of kick in as, um, you know, as, as, as reminders of, of this reality that we, we have one life. Um, so as I go through these, I do want to mention on a separate note that we don't need to take these truths uh, so personally. In fact, in, uh, in the book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, he discusses the self-limiting beliefs that rob us of joy and end up creating unnecessary suffering. And those are topics we discuss quite often in, in Buddhism. But the four agreements are to be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. And I really like that second one, don't take anything personally. And I want to emphasize the second agreement uh, and add that as a powerful reminder when you're contemplating the five remembrances. So from the Buddhist perspective, going back to the teaching of the five remembrances, the, the five remembrances are, one, I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot escape old age. Two, I am of the nature to get sick. I cannot escape sickness. Three, I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape death. Four, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And five, I inherit the results of my actions. My actions are my continuation. These five remembrances, uh, the way they're worded here, come from the Plum Village School of Buddhism, which is Thich Nhat Hanh's way of teaching Buddhism. In the fifth one, he actually specifies, I inherit the results of my actions of body, speech, and mind. And I, I do like the, um, I like the fact that he talks about those three because what we say, what we do, and what we think uh, combined, those, those actions are, uh, you, do, you don't want to just take this in the context of what I do. Uh, the thoughts are equally important. What I think uh, and what I say those are, those, those are equally important to have in mind. If I think a certain way, that will affect the actions that I take. So I do need to pay attention to what I think and why I think the way that I think. So when we're talking about actions in this context, we're talking about not just physical actions, but actions in the context of body, speech, and mind. Okay, so let's start with the first three. Uh, of being of the nature to grow old, to get sick, and to die. Sickness, old age, and death, these are uh, three of the key realizations that led 
Prince Siddhartha, who would later go on to be known as the Buddha, um, onto his path of awakening and the path of of exploring uh, the meaning of life. And at first glance, when you think about these first three, it can seem a bit sad, a bit sobering, right? It's like somebody throws cold water on your face. Uh, but, but these aren't meant to be depressing. They're meant to be wake-up calls that help us to see clearly both the nature of reality and the nature of, of what's in store for us if we each live long enough. We're all going to experience those three, right? Sickness, old age, and death. Uh, there's no way to escape that. So those are the first three. And I want to go through each of them one at a time. So the first one, I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot escape old age. I, I find it interesting that um, society seems to have programmed us with an aversion to growing old. We don't want to look old. Um, you know, if you start getting gray hair, you don't want the gray hair. You, you, you color your hair. Um, if you get wrinkles, oh, here's this cream you can use. That'll help hide the wrinkles. It's like we're trying our hardest to not let anyone know that we're growing old. And I get it. I mean, I'm conditioned in the same societal norms as everyone else. I, I see that and I feel uh, a lot of the same feelings, especially as I, uh, as I see signs of aging in me. I have a lot of gray hair now in, in my hair and, and in, my, in my beard. And I'm starting to see, okay, yeah, I look older than, than I used to. Um, and I've had the thought, huh, what if I, what if I use this uh, just for men hair stuff on my beard? That would make me look a little younger. And then I sit with that. Why? Why would I want that? Why do I want that? Um, and, and, and again, this isn't to say that you should or shouldn't do that. I think there are perfectly acceptable reasons for why you might want that. Even if it's just because it makes you feel better, then fine. So what? So don't, don't take what I'm saying here as a, as a dig at people who want to look younger. That's, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that we have been conditioned by society to turn a blind eye to the fact that we do age. Um, and this is where the re, the, this first remembrance kicks in, which says, no, I am of the nature to grow old. Uh, I cannot escape it. If I live long enough, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to get old. So what this does for me is it helps me to recognize I don't have to take that personally. I don't have to be upset at the universe or at life because here I am and uh, finding that there are things that I can't do anymore that I used to be able to do. Um, so that's the first one. The, the nature, I'm of the nature to grow old. I cannot escape old age. The second one, I'm of the nature to get sick. I cannot escape sickness. And yes, there are things that we can do to be more healthy, right? Um, uh, exercise, uh, uh, skillful diet, things like that. But the, the, the key of, to this remembrance is that there is no way to escape sickness. No matter how you live your life, certain sicknesses can come your way. Think of cancer or Parkinson's or ALS or random viruses there are so many forms of sickness that can visit uh, when we least expect it. Why? Because we're of the nature to get sick. We cannot escape sickness. And uh, I think this is a powerful one to remember. It kind of goes hand in hand with the teaching of Thich, that Thich Nhat Hanh has where 
he talks about experiencing the non-toothache, right? As soon as you experience a toothache, you're reminded, oh man, it felt so good when I didn't have the, the toothache. And at any given moment, you are experiencing the non-toothache. At any given moment, you are experiencing non-sickness. Um, now, you may be listening to this and you're someone who is dealing with a sickness, but you may be someone who's listening to this who isn't. But you will one day, if you live long enough, there's no way to escape it. Uh, at some point, because we are of the nature of growing old, we are also of the nature of our bodies slowly um, breaking down, almost like a car, right? If you have a car long enough and put enough miles on it, what is the inevitable thing that happens? Well, you start having parts that go bad and you have to go in and get those repaired or get them replaced or do service, do maintenance. But the longer you have the vehicle, the more likely it is that you'll have to do those things. Our body's the same way because we are of the nature to grow old. So what this does for me as a remembrance, it helps me to appreciate uh, what I, the health that I have now. Uh, I've experienced this in the last few years with my when I injured my shoulder. Um, there was a period of time that I was really thinking a lot about my mobility and how it affects the what I can and can't do in my day-to-day -day life. And as soon as I regained all that mobility and my shoulder was totally healed, um, I think about it often now, much more, well, <laughs> much more than before. I would say I didn't think about it at all before. I'd never thought of shoulder injury because I'd never injured a shoulder. But since I injured my shoulder, and now I'm approaching a year now of, of um, no issues with it at all, I still think about it quite a bit where I think, oh man, I love that I can move my shoulder and I don't feel any pain and I can do all the things that I used to and feel, you know, it feels like I had never been injured in the first place. The only way I know is when I reach up and touch my shoulder and feel that bone and recognize, oh yeah, that's not how that should be. But luckily, I'm experiencing the non-toothache now. I'm experiencing the non-shoulder pain. But I recognize that other forms of, of pain, of sickness, uh, are, are, are on the radar for me at some point because I cannot escape it. So that's the second one. The third one is, I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape death. Now this is one I think about often. And I think we brush up against it from time to time. Um, my first encounter with death that was a very contemplative form of, of an encounter was a good friend of mine in elementary school. And his name was Jeffrey. And he came he came to school one day and, and was just sweating profusely. It seemed like something was wrong with him. And I remember that day. And I remember the next day he wasn't there. And the day after he wasn't there. And after a few days, we found out um, that he had been admitted to the hospital. He had uh, leukemia, and his body was slowly shutting down, and he ended up passing away. And that was my first encounter with, with death. It was at a young age with a, a friend of mine from school, and my um, I got to be one of the pallbearers at his funeral. And it was overall just a very sobering experience to to be acquainted with the reality that I am of the nature uh, of dying. I'm of the nature to die and I cannot escape it. And those around me can't either. 
And I've thought about it often since then, thinking, well, if I don't know, if I know that death is a certainty and the timing is uncertain, what am I going to do with this, with this time that I do have? And fortunately for me, that's been a thought that's been with me for a significant portion of my life. And it's helped influence decisions that I've made and decisions that I wouldn't have made uh, or that I, have, I, that I didn't make because of that thought, that remembrance. And I think it's common to wrestle with death. And often we wrestle with death because we're actually wrestling with life. And what I mean to say by that is, if you get down to the, to the nitty gritty of the thought of dying, I'm not sure that it's really fear of dying that concerns us. It's the fear of not being alive. Being alive is all we know. It's all we've ever known. And we don't know what it is to not be alive. And I think there's a natural fear that arises from the unknown or the fear of uncertainty that, that we all experience. And apparently that might be why we wrestle so much with the thought of death, because we don't want to think of not being alive. Being alive is, our, is what we're comfortable with. And sure, uh, you know, some people reach the point where they're not comfortable being alive and have no desire to be alive. But for most people who are comfortable with it, um, they would rather stay with the comfort of being alive um, than face the possibility of, of an uncertainty of what comes next, what, what, what if anything, is there. Um, so I think about that with me, with the, with the notion of, of death and how I think about it and, and contemplate the, the very real possibility that I know that it's, it's there in my future at some point. I just don't know when and I don't know how. And um, that governs how do I want to live then for the time that I do have? What, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of experiences do, do I want to have with the time that I have left? And I think this one becomes very real for people who encounter the, um, the second one, which is being of the nature to get sick. Imagine finding out that you have terminal cancer or, or another form of terminal illness that now you know what everyone knows, which is I'm dying, but you know that it's coming much sooner. Um, I experienced this in early adulthood with, with a college buddy of mine who had cancer. Um, I've experienced this with other friends, even now, friends who have uh, sicknesses that they know are terminal, and they know that the end is coming, it's near, and it's most likely going to be sooner for them than for me, but you never know. Um, you never know, right? A, a, a car crash can come out of the blue and change everything. So, Remembering this, thinking about this often, that I am of the nature to die, I cannot escape death, helps me to feel like I'm really living. Um, it's interesting because we all know that it's coming, and still we all uh, seem so surprised and shocked when it comes. And perhaps it's because we don't think about it often enough. I think in our society, thinking about death is kind of a, a taboo. You know, if you were to tell someone, oh, yeah, I think about dying every day, they would look at you like something's wrong with you. Like, oh, no, you're not supposed to think about that. Don't, they would say, don't think about that. And I encounter this teaching in the Tibetan book of living and dying. In fact, back when my friend Jordan was, um, was nearing the end of his life with cancer, 
And I remember encountering this powerful teaching in the book that says something to the effect of, if you're not thinking about death often, then you're not actually living fully. And I remember thinking, wow, it has never occurred to me to think about death often. In fact, I, like most people, would probably tend to not want to think about it. It's like, nope, if it pops into your mind, the the scary thought of what would it be like to lose a parent or to a sibling or uh, my best friend or any any of those thoughts, it was like, no, 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 push that one away. Do not think about that because it is uncomfortable. And sitting with discomfort is not something that we're conditioned to do. We do all, all that we can to push that away. So thinking about death is definitely not a natural, uh, normal thing for most people in our society. So this is kind of a radical shift of saying, well, wait a second, maybe I should be thinking about it and I should be thinking about it often. And I think there's a very, very powerful thing that can happen when we start to do that, when we start to think about death. So that's the third one. The fourth one is all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. So the fourth remembrance is remembering that everything changes. And this is, again, it's a topic that comes up uh, all the time. You see this in a lot of Buddhist teachings, the whole notion of impermanence, uh, the notion of, of constant change. But here, framed as something that you should think about often and think about uh, or, or remember it often, is a very profound, uh, very powerful change in our mindset. And there's a, there's a teaching by the Buddhist monk Ajahn Chah, and he would point to a glass, like a glass that you drink out of. He would say, do you see this glass? I love this glass. It holds, it holds water. The sun shines on it. It reflects the light. When I tap on it, it has a, a lovely ring. And yet for me, this glass is already broken. When the wind knocks it over or my elbow knocks it off the shelf and it falls to the ground and shatters, then I'll say, of course, like I knew that it was going to break. And he says, but when I understand that the glass is already broken, every minute with it is precious. How powerful is that teaching? To see the glass as already broken. Imagine how it would be for us to see everything in our lives that way. Our possessions, our friendships, our loved ones, everything. Everything is already broken. Everything is subject to change. I think when we can do this and we can see this and truly uh, feel it, it changes the relationship we have with it in the same way that you know, that glass while you're holding it becomes precious because you see it as already broken. Man, imagine doing that with people. Uh, to see someone and say, I already, I already see this person as uh, being of the nature of getting old, getting sick, and dying. And, and this person experiencing change because change is inevitable. How would that change the time that I have with that person in the present moment? I think it changes it quite a bit, to be honest. I think of different friendships I've had from different chapters of my own life, and I recognize how most of those have changed, and they're no, no longer what they once were. Um, I, I see this in all of my current friendships and, and relationships. I think back to my friends from elementary school. I'm not really friends with any of them anymore, at least not on a day-to-day -day basis. I may, be, I may so, uh, follow some of them on social media, 
Same with middle school, same with high school. High school, I actually do have some friends that remain friends this day, uh, college. But there's a significant portion of friends from each of these chapters of my life that are no longer what they once were. And why is that? Because um, everything is of the nature to change. And I'm not living now how I was living then in that same chapter of life. So uh, things change, things evolve. And I like to think about this with my, with my current friendships. Uh, right now, a lot of my current friendships and relationships center around paragliding because that's the thing that I do now. Or my relationship with my kids now. They're young kids and I'm, uh, and I'm a dad. Uh, but this stage is different than what it will be when they are adults. And they're, if they were to be married or have their own kids at that point, that relationship, it's different then. But right now, it's what this is, and I look at it and I see it like that glass. I see this as already broken. And not broken in a bad way. I mean broken as in changed. Uh, the only thing is it hasn't happened yet. And that helps me to feel a deeper appreciation for how things are right now, knowing that it won't always be like this. Um, any interaction that I have with a friend uh, on this recent trip, I experienced that. I was with a good friend of mine. I actually taught him how to fly and with my twin brother. So it was the three of us. And as we sat there and we enjoyed each other's company, we experienced these incredible uh, experiences flying along the coast, uh, doing all the fun things that we were doing. And we would have these really fun, deep discussions over dinner. And there was always in the back of my mind, this recognition that this is how things are right now, but they won't always be like this. Um, one day that friendship might not be what it is, but right now it is this. So that helps me to appreciate it and to enjoy it the same way that you can see that glass is already broken. So you enjoy every minute with it because every minute with it right now, before it's broken is precious. So I really like that. I think that, that when we remember and we understand that everyone and everything is impermanent, Perhaps our moments will also become more precious with each of these things. Okay, the fifth remembrance is, I inherit the results of my actions of body, speech, and mind. My actions are my continuation. So this is a powerful remembrance. What we're remembering here, we're, we're reminded of the fact that what we choose to do or not do actually matters. There, there are consequences to our actions and to our inactions because all things inter-are. The expression, this is because that is, is also to say, that is because this is. Everything that I do matters. Also, everything that I don't do also matters. And wow, what a powerful realization. What a powerful thing to remember. Um, for, and remember, we're talking about skillful means here. I don't like to frame this in the context of saying, well, then I better do what's right and avoid doing what's wrong. Because truthfully, I don't see the big picture. I, I'm going to do my best to be skillful with my actions, but I don't know what happens next. And I don't know if it's good or bad. Remember the, the parable of the horse here, right? You, you go about living life and this happens, which leads to that happening. And that leads to this other thing happening. And what seemed good one moment may seem bad the next moment. And what seemed bad that moment turns out, oh, well, that's good that that happened because of, of this moment. 
So keeping that in mind, for me, it's very important to frame this in the context of I'm going to try to be the most skillful that I can in the decisions that I make, in the things that I do, and in the things that I don't do. Because I don't know the big picture, and I don't know what comes of this, but um, I do know that what I do matters. And if I know that, that what I do matters, then I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to what I do, what I do it, and what I, and why I do it. Also, this, uh, to me, invites the powerful um, sentence uh, thought that comes from Mary Oliver's poem, where she says, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And I love that question. I, I try to ask myself this often. If I know that I inherit the results of my actions and that everything that I do matters, then tell me, what am I going to do with this one life that I'm living? Um, yeah, so that's how I think of that fifth one. So now that we've covered each of the five remembrances and how they pertain to us individually, you can think about them in that context. If you are of the nature to grow old and you cannot escape old age, um, what does that mean for you? How, how, what relationship are you going to have with this truth, which is that you grow old? But now you can revisit these five remembrances also in the context of how they pertain to everyone else. I think this is a whole another angle to approach that I think can be very powerful as a contemplative practice. Because on one side, there's, I'm going to get old. Wow, I'm going to, I can get sick. I can die. I'm of the nature of these things. But it's another one to flip this and start to see this in everyone else. So that the people that I'm looking at and interacting with, friends, loved ones, enemies, uh, people you don't like, anybody, and, and do the same thing and say, you are of the nature to grow old. You cannot escape old age. You are of the nature to get sick. You cannot escape sickness. You are of the nature to die. You cannot escape death. All that is dear to you is of the nature to change, and there is no way for you to escape being separated from, from them. Uh, also, you inherit the results of your actions. Your actions are your continuation, and everything that you do matters. For me, this is really powerful when I, when I frame this in, in the relationships I have with others. When I think of, of my kids, for example, they are of the nature to grow old. They are of the nature to die. But right now, they're, they're this. They're what they are. That makes this stage much more precious. And it's done it from the get-go. And I mean, I remember thinking about this when they were in diapers and you're still changing the poopy diapers. I knew that's not going to last forever. So... I was looking at it like this is a glass that's already broken. And yeah, it's, it's still inconvenient to have to... It was still inconvenient when I had to change the poopy diaper. It doesn't mean you like it. Um, it still stinks. <laughs> but it also made it precious. It's like, I know that it won't be like this forever. And now I am past that stage. I'm, I don't have, I'm not in the stage of having kids that you have to change diapers. Um, but I am in the stage of having a, a whole bunch of other things. But these are not permanent either. These will change. And this isn't just in parenting. This is the relationship I have with my parents, the relationship I have with my siblings, the relationship I have with my friends. All of these things are changing. So I can look at them how they are now and experience a little bit more of that sensation of preciousness that this is how it is. And, and I don't know how much longer it'll be like this, but this is how it is. 
So I would encourage you to come up with a way to remember these things often. You can write them down somewhere. You can put on a bracelet that reminds you of them so that every time you look at it, you think of it. Or do something that will help you to remember these things often because they really are life-changing reminders that will continually wake you up. And that's what they're meant to be, right? Wake-up calls to help you entertain the thought of what is it that really matters? If these things, if I'm remembering these things often, then what, what is it that really matters in life? I think they can also serve as guideposts that help steer your life in a direction that you probably wouldn't have navigated had you not been thinking about these things all the time. In fact, there's a, a, a thought that comes from the, the Hindu text, the Mahabharata, and it's the story of a sage being asked, hey, of all the things in life, what is the most amazing? And his answer is, well, that people seeing others die all around them still never think about their own death. And I, I do think that's an amazing thing. I see this in our own society. Um, I went to a funeral yesterday. Um, well, just the past few weeks, I've, I've encountered death a couple times. Um, there was another paragliding accident that happened while I was on my trip. And that was um, a week and a half ago. And the gentleman crashed and, uh, and passed away. He didn't survive the injuries. And then um, my wife's aunt passed away. Um, earlier this week, and her funeral was yesterday. And as we sat there in the funeral, again, this, this thought flooded my mind, which is, I am of the nature to die, I cannot escape death. And looking at everyone in the, in the, uh, in the chairs that was there partaking of this um, funeral experience, I had the same thought, you are of the nature to die, you cannot escape death. And it has a profound impact on how I felt about all of these people. It's like, man, I just, I want you to make the most of the time that you have because you don't know how much time you have and neither do I. And I thought of this notion that, you know, people seeing others die all around them still don't ever think about their own death. People who have encountered death can still get caught up in the, in the thick of thin things, still get all bent out of shape because the car cut you off or because the line that you're standing in is taking too long. And it's almost fascinating to me. It's like, wow, in the context of the big picture of what we know, the five remembrances, um, that one alone should make it so that, well, this little thing that feels like it matters so much really doesn't matter. I'm not going to get bent out of shape over this anymore. Why? Because I just thought about the fact that I am of the nature to die and I cannot escape death. You are of the nature to die and you cannot escape death. And I think, I think that has a, a, really, a, a really powerful um, effect on, on changing the dynamic of how we're relating to the experience that we're having. So sharing some closing thoughts here about the five remembrances, I want to talk about how the five remembrances relate to fear. I feel, again, like I mentioned before, I feel like our societal views and beliefs have conditioned us to be afraid of growing old, to be afraid of getting sick, to definitely be afraid of dying. But we're also afraid of being separated from the people and the things that we love. I don't want to lose the, uh, the car that I love or the smartphone that I just got. Um, we're afraid of losing these things. We're, uh, we're afraid of being separated from the things that we want in our life. 
and we're afraid of change. I think we're afraid to take bold actions sometimes because we're afraid of failing. And the five remembrances can help us to change the relationship we have with fear in general, but specifically the fear we have around these five things. And I don't think the goal is that we need to get rid of fear. I think fear is natural, but we can and uh, change the relationship we have with fear. And I think that's really important to remember. Um, if I think about death, for example, and I recognize I'm afraid to die, don't also think on top of that, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be afraid to die. No, that's not the point of these remembrances. If you're afraid to die, then fine, be afraid to die. That's fine. But the relationship you have with that fear, that is where you can spend time and introspection and say, yeah, I am afraid to die. Why am I afraid to die? And get to know that fear, become comfortable with the fear to the point where you can feel it, but it, the relationship you have with it is no longer there, or it's no longer what it was. It'll change. And I think, to me, this is where this becomes a really powerful practice to think about the five remembrances recognize how do I feel about the fact that I'm going to grow old? How do I feel about the fact that I'm subject to um, sickness or to death or that everything around me is going to change? How do I feel about that? That feeling tone that arises, um, for it could be aversion, and you're like, oh man, I don't want that to happen. Don't uh, d You don't have to think, well, crap, now I got to practice until I don't fear death. That's not the point, uh, and that's not the goal. You can sit with that discomfort and recognize, wow, I really do have a discomfort around the thought of dying. Okay, well then let's sit with that. Where does that come from? Get curious. Become uh, curious about what you feel and why you feel and, and get rid of the thought of having to change it. You don't need to change anything. Just observe it and see what happens to the relationship between you and that feeling and see if that relationship changes. Again, echoing the whole point of the story of that sticky hair monster, it's the relationship with the monster that changes. It's not, you're not trying to defeat it or change it or make yourself not afraid of it. It's not that. You're trying to change the relationship you have with it. And I think, I think um, there's a, a really powerful thing that can happen when we do that. And again, we don't need to get rid of fear, but we can change the relationship we have with it. And it can be uncomfortable to think about these things. I think we generally regard any form of discomfort as something that's unwelcome, unwelcome in the space of our mind. Uh, so we do everything that we can to not let it occupy any space in our mind. We want to get thoughts about sickness, old age, death, constant change. Uh, we want to get these out of our mind. But if you are serious about walking the path of awakening, then you should feel eager to encounter what is true and what is real. And these five remembrances are a direct encounter with what is real. We are of the nature of growing old. We are of the nature of getting sick. We are of the nature of dying. We are of the nature of experiencing change all around us. And we are of the nature of having to live with the consequences of our actions. And we don't have to take any of this personally. Everyone is of the same nature. It's not the universe out to get you and say, ha ha, I got you. Now you're going to get sick, but no one else will. No, everyone at some point will. And if it's my time and, and I'm the one who now has a sickness I'm dealing with, I don't need to take that personally. That, I'm of the nature of that. Uh, same with old age. Oh, it's time for my beard to turn white. Okay, well, I'm of the nature of growing old. 
Um, I think when we're willing to sit with the discomfort of these remembrances, even if just for a brief moment, but if we do it often, our relationship with that discomfort will change and we will gradually learn not to fear these things. Uh, And again, society has conditioned us to feel an aversion to these things. We want to run from these truths, but the path we walk as practitioners is to turn and face these truths and to change the relationship we have with them. And these remembrances, uh, I think, can awaken our hearts and they can help us to live more fully and more deliberately. So these five remembrances are quite profound and quite powerful. And I think when we contemplate and really think about them, they're more than enough to act as wake-up calls that help us to decide what is it we really want to do with our lives. Do I want to keep doing what I'm doing or am I going to change? Do I want to... Uh, Do I want to change or do I want to keep doing what I'm doing? Both of those may be what's most skillful for you, but how will you know? Uh, these These are great ways to get into that introspective way of thinking. So I hope that you'll think about these five remembrances often, and I hope that they will help you on your path to living a more, uh, to living life more mindfully and ultimately to allow you to experience more joy and more contentment in your life as you recognize these instances of the non-toothache. <laughs> um, so that's all I have to share for this episode and for this topic, but I look forward to sharing more thoughts in another episode later. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>